You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, and welcome back to the show. This is, of course, David Scales. If you're looking for Spit, the show I co-host with Scott Bass, that's now available on its own feed. Just search for the word, um, or just search for the title Spit. Maybe you have to add the word surf to it, and then that'll pop up. Click subscribe. I actually backloaded that feed with every episode that Scott and I have ever recorded together. I think there's 95 of them total, so you can get all of that on Spit's own podcast feed. All right? Also, don't forget, through the end of this month of August, we're doing this custom Motai board bag giveaway. They make their board bags out of recycled wetsuits. They're all custom made to the specs of your surfboard. It's a $250 value, and to be entered to win that, all you have to do is make a donation subscription to the show. So this show survives exclusively on donations. So we wanted to create a way to reciprocate to those donors. So if you've ever set up a donation subscription to this show in the past, you'll be entered to win that. It's not just reserved for people making those August donations. Um, And then even if you don't win this bag that we're giving away, Motai will give all donors 15% off your first order. So everyone wins. You can check all of that stuff out and link to their website on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And you know what would look amazing in a custom Motai board bag? A Ryan Lovelace surfboard. You've probably heard of Ryan Lovelace. He's become quite the darling of the hip alternative surf craft scene. He won the Icons of Foam tribute to Jerry Lopez shaping competition in 2006 at the board. I'm sorry, 2016 at the boardroom show by replicating a single fin lightning bolt Jerry Lopez pipeline gun. I could go on and on about Ryan's boards, um, the unique shapes, construction experiments, and how people are writing them. But I think that you've actually seen a lot of that stuff and. Uh, furthermore, I think a lot of it gets, or all of it, gets infused through my conversation with Ryan. And he's infinitely more interesting to listen to than I. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoy this episode of Shaping Surfing with Ryan Lovelace. I'll be back at the end of it to sign us off. Thanks. Poor boys and pilgrims with families, and we are going to Greece My traveling companion is nine years old He's the child of my first marriage I've raised up to believe We both will be received in Graceland She comes back to tell me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own bed As if I'd never noticed the way she brushed her hair from her forehead. She said, So I've gotten, um, gotten to be pretty close with, um, with Alex Lopez and Leah Dawson, his girlfriend, and Jerry, Jerry Lopez, dad, yeah, yeah. and Tony, their, their family, and 
So I was talking to Alex, telling him that I saw Paul Simon, you know, a number of months ago. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see him uh, in Bandit, because they live up in Bend, Oregon. He's like, yeah, I'm going to see him. And uh, yesterday he sent me this. No way. I was like, motherfucker. Is it because <laughs> Paul Simon's a Jerry Lopez fan? No, I, I, he said they, like, pretty much just took the picture and, like, walked away. Oh, it was okay. all good. But, like, Jerry and, like, Jackson Brown go way back. Jerry's, like... The mayor of Ben, you cruise right. around like you cruise around. Everyone's like, "Hey Jerry, hey Jerry," right. and on the mountain, everyone's like, "Hey Jerry." So, like, of course, it's like, oh, "That's unbelievable, man. dude!" Like, what a photo. <laughs> um, let's recap that conversation real quick. Mm. Tell me how you use music when you're shaping. Um, I really wish that my my answer was more uh, varied and like in depth and and all that, but that I really hone into you know, one album at a time and I'll listen to that same album on repeat for, I mean, I, I always want to say like four or five months, but if I do the math, it's 10 months to a year and a half, something like that for just one, one thing. I don't shuffle the songs. I just hit the first song and let them loop and all. So I'll probably listen to that album, whatever it is at that time, probably four times in a day and just, I uh, don't get tired of it. <laughs> Beginning to end for 10 months on. Yeah. Um, you know, for probably six or eight hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we turn the mics on, you were saying you've listened to over the course of your shaping career, maybe 10 albums or so total. Yeah. I'm going to, I, it's probably roughly in, in that ballpark. Yeah. That's I so mean, classic. And I'll, I'll have, I think earlier on, I, I would kind of flip around a little bit more, but yeah as I kind of sank into a pretty solid groove in the last couple, you know, four or five years, it's really gotten very limited. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the two that you just talked about before we turn the mics on were, um, Paul Simon's rhythm of the saints mm -hmm. and Graceland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so <laughs> hip to that dude. And like, honestly, um, for me, I, I grew up on Simon and Garfunkel. My parents yep. always played it and Paul Simon, but so I always had an awareness, but like just in the last couple of years, I've kind of rediscovered it on my own. That's exactly what's happening. Okay. That's, I mean, I, I have like really vivid memories of, of eating dinner with my mom and my brother and my stepdad and listening to Graceland was the one that we would listen to, um, just during dinner. So the, the songs I have, you know, that just deep in my memory, I have, recollections and just understandings of the rhythm and just the whole the kind of vibe because paul's songs have so much depth to them really that that um you know and one of those turns on it just transports me instantly mm -hmm. and um god it's just been so cool to just reconnect with all that and then and of course you get you know one good song like i felt i was listening to graceland for probably six months something yeah. like that just non-stop and and then um and I got really hooked on the, his song, Obvious Child. Did you see the um, film? No. What? There's a movie that came out two years, like a year to two years ago called Obvious Child. Oh. And it's um, a reference to the song and they play the song in the movie. Like mm -hmm. there's like a dance <laughs> sequence or something mm -hmm. to it that's kind of cheesy. But the movie itself is really, really good. Oh. And that was my reintroduction. Even though I was already like uh, revisiting Paul Simon, I watched the film. That song came on and I was like... I forgot about that song. Yeah. And then I just got yeah. super into it. It's a great, totally. great song. That song is a gateway drug, and that entire album is messed up. Rhythm yeah. of the Saints. I, I mean, I love 
Graceland is a great album. Rhythm of the Saints. I don't, oh my god. Yeah, that's, a, that's Diamonds a, on the Soles of Her Shoes is one killer. of my all time. That <laughs> and Graceland are like always in rotation yeah. on my my yeah. daily playlist. Always. So um, that's too cool. Yeah. So, dude, how was the party last night? You you guys premiered um, Free Jazz Vein. <laughs> yeah. Um, latest film. How'd that go? The party was mental. We <laughs> we. Uh, something we do a really good job of is parties it seems like that's um <laughs> making that's, boards is just a, a way to uh give you a party venue yeah we, i just make boards to pay for the space to have a party every four months that is so smart <laughs> no. you're a savvy businessman oh my god um now yeah we you know when there's there's a few things that that we you know put together every year and it's really really casual and really mellow we don't really hardly organize it at all it comes together in about a day and a half and then 200 people come out and mosh in the shop and have a good time there's people hanging out blocking the streets and it's it was rowdy i was gonna say the shop fits what 20 people yeah probably like <laughs> comfortably like 10 people <laughs> yeah exactly um, so 200 a bit much yeah it's just people filtering so last night we did you know, we did. We showed the movie out in the alley alongside of the okay. the shop. And we projected it on a big screen. Okay. And um, and then uh, we had a my friends own a little like a um, wood fire pizza company, CSB yeah. Pizza, and they came down from Ojai, and brought their pizza. So we had tons of beer, food, surf movies, and real loud music, real late at night. Cool. <laughs> um, I ask that not just to be polite, but I'm actually curious to hear your thoughts on the film and especially in regard to our conversation about music, um, because music factors so prominently into surf film, Mm. obviously in all of our Mm -hmm. surf film experiences. Like I could tell you exactly what turn was done to what drum beat from a specific song (laughs) in a specific movie. And, um, and Tin specifically as a filmmaker, like, his last film, Expensive Porno Movie, was mm-hmm. a 70s porn soundtrack. This mm-hmm. is a reference to experimental jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the film itself? I love it. I love Tin's work. Um, he's a good friend, but even if I didn't know him, I, I really... I don't think there's anyone making more interesting and applicable surf movies right now. I mean, that's a that's an interesting generalization or a broad statement to make, but... I mean, the the part of surfing that I look at, you know, the the part of the culture that I am aware of full time is kind of our little corner. And and his movies really do a good job of nailing that one on the head and and just they're they're easy to watch because they're they're kind of almost like not spastic, but they keep you interested Mm. for sure. None of the sections are long and dragging or overly romantic. They're just usually really great surfing mixed with stuff that you're just like what is going on right now with the little interludes and the art bits and the yeah and you're just like huh <laughs> and then See, it goes right back into tubes <laughs> interesting i um like i'm a huge i'm gonna give you a critique of the film and because as a fan of surf film you know just like mm-hmm. i'm not saying this to shame 10 or anything like that it's just i love surf film and i want to get the most out of it and elevate the form and all that um, and I, those things that you just described were distracting for me. Like mm. the, the film, the surfing itself mm-hmm. is phenomenal, mm-hmm. but I felt like some of the art direction of it <laughs> got in the way of good surfing. You know, I heard one, one friend of mine described it as, you know, and I don't think this is offensive to Tan at all. He, he said, if you're looking to go watch a surf movie, you may kind of miss the point, but 
if you want to go see a movie that's really artistic and interesting that includes really good surfing, that's the best. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think there's something with, with the younger generation that, I mean, there's so many clips and things coming out online that if you're not doing something really unique and keeping a lot of attention and keeping the imagination kind of alive and kind of curious, then it's really hard to hold someone's focus for 45 minutes mm-hmm. to, you know, I, I made a movie five, five, six years ago now. And, um, yeah, and it was 40 minutes long and I tried to break it up into small, like web clip sized sections mm-hmm. and it, you know, did a good job of, it keeps me entertained every time still. I don't know about for other people, but I hope so. But I, but, I um, wonder that like, does the feature length surf film even have a place in our surf culture anymore? I think it, I think it does, but I think it's hard to get someone to sit down for that long anymore. Um, to just go home and spend an hour and a half, an hour just watching a surf movie. People get really distracted and the I, I don't know if anyone has the attention span anymore. But that being said, people when they click into a surf movie, nothing's changed. It's they're all fanatical about that movie and just like you said, they know everything mm-hmm. about that clip. And so I think it's just kind of the broader thing going on within surfing as a whole is just different strokes for different folks. People that like surf movies are going to find those surf movies and people are going to keep making them because they're fun to make mm-hmm. and they're interesting. And same thing with boards. If you're into this, cool. If you're into that, cool. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of whatever. And it's, I think there's so many people involved in surfing now that it's probably the same market size for surf film watchers as it was before. It's just a little more drowned out within the surfing culture as a whole because it's so big now. Yeah. That's, I, that's my guess. I see. I do think that I have the attention span. Like I, cause I will sit on the sofa and watch one hour episode of house of cards. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the reason why I'm not devoting that attention span to the surf film is because the filmmakers letting me down. The reason why I'm mm-hmm. choosing house of cards is because there's compelling story and mm-hmm. characters and a real master, um, you know, usage of the craft itself in mm-hmm. terms of cinematography and all that. And so then I watch the surf film and I go, I don't know what you guys are giving me, I think is best in bite size format in the three minute edit or the Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever, unless you're going to develop the characters, unless you're going to tell mm-hmm. the story, it doesn't have to be like through narration or something, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. like, um, I'd like to be able to understand what country this is taking place in, you mm-hmm. know, or I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. What. No, I, I could see that. I mean, that's definitely kind of, you know, reflects back to older surf movies where they did that. They totally um, did. Morning of the Earth, really, stuff like oh, yeah. that. Like, there's story involved, yeah. you know? It, yeah, that's something that I do think is missing. And I I find it interesting. You watch these surfers over and over and over and over for years, and you don't know who they are, what they even, right. what their voice sounds like. You don't know what they do, what their vibe is at all. You just see them surfing or walking down the beach looking cool. And it would be, yeah, it would be cool to get a little a little more involved in a, in a larger format. I think that surfing has the most interesting characters in the world, you know, like it's a completely underdeveloped, uh, area. Um, the thing that I did like about Tin's movie, and actually I'll ask it to, I'll ask you the question. You said that this little area of our surf world that you're focused on, his mm. films represent it. What area of the surf world are you focused on? How do you define it? So I guess going, going back to the way that I listen to music, 
two while I shape is I really kind of dial in on one thing and give it all of my focus and not really look outside of it too much more and really apply myself to that one thing. So the, you know, the, the lens that I look at surfing through is pretty narrow. I'm pretty critical and pretty, um, specific about the things that I like. And when I like them, I'm very, very into it. So that the part of, of surfing that, that I'm watching would be, you know, the, a fair amount of historical stuff, but, um, really the, the, uh, there's, there's a sliver of surfers that are, you know, have really good flow, really good style, um, but are powerful and critical and very modern that, you know, Tom Curran, Dane Reynolds hits that mark too, even though he's, you know, I've, it's a short border, but I'm, he, he nails what I like to watch. Totally. Um, and I mean, people like that, Trevor Gordon, Ari Brown, these guys, I mean, they ride a lot of my boards, so I really like watching them, but I mean, you know, they're kind of like my dream surfer. Like they ride my boards exactly how I see them being ridden when I'm making them. Okay. So I love making boards for them. It, it hits all the marks for me so that. The little sliver I'm looking at isn't like the Orange County cool guy scene that, you know, the, or the even really, I mean, even the San Diego, the anything like that. I, I look at really, really small, narrow slivers of, of what's going on. So Santa Barbara specifically, um, definitely what, you know, the, the history that's gone on here and the small communities within it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then different places I've visited around the world, just, you know, that there's a few, there's more and more now, but some, some kind of bubbling subcultures of, of small surf zones that are really like developing at the moment. And they're far more interesting than Southern California. Mm. I could, I really, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what, it's, it's more fun. Give me a little bit of your origin story and how that actually developed into you focusing on that aspect of surfing. Um, well, I think it's not, it's not really a choice to focus on the aspect. It's just what I'm into and that's you know just a kind of monoscopic and kind of obsessive way of, of doing things that I do so it's, it's not really a choice it's just I like this and that's what I'm into but I was born and raised in Seattle um, and my my dad was a little bit of a surfer and my uncle's a surfer and so I, I mean I grew up skiing but you know all the the older guys that I look up to and my family were all surfers. And that's, you know, when I had the first time I did it when I was, you know, probably four or five, something like that, just being involved in the ocean and in Hawaii visiting my grandparents was, I mean, it, you know, like everyone says, their first wave just locks you. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, I was living in Seattle, but that's all I could think about was surfing was just, that's all I wanted to do. Um, but it was like that thing, you know, you keep something out of arm's reach long enough by the time you turn 18 and move away for school. And I, I didn't really have a concept of where I wanted to be or why. Um, I just, it had to be somewhere with waves. That was, that was it. I didn't, I didn't know shit. Like I was completely naive. I didn't know anything about tides, swell direction, any of that. I just wanted to be where I knew that open ocean was. Um, and that really could have been just about anywhere for me. And I, the fact that I landed here um, was by no means 
uh, intentional. I mean, I wanted to go to Brooks, the photo school that's, I guess, closed now. Um, I want to be a photographer. That was my vision for myself at the time, surf and ski photography. But I, <laughs> I realized, I was like, oh, you know, I don't think there's really enough money in that to make a living, or it's not very likely that I'd be able to make a living doing that. So I'll find something else. And somehow I ended up making surfboards and just really missed the mark on that one. But. <laughs> you, there's still time. There's still time. There's still time. Um, <laughs> how did you get into board building? Um, I was saving up to get a fish in like 2004, 2005. And uh, a friend of mine had told me he made a surfboard. Um, and I was just like, shit you did it I could do it you know that's I grew up building stuff that was you know my default answer when I was little and people say what are you going to do when you grow up I say I don't know but it's going to be something with my hands that was what I told everybody interesting and it so I mean when he told me that I was like oh for sure like I could I could build a board if you did it yeah no problem and I told I was like how, how long did it take you and he goes oh about like a couple months and I was like sweet that's way faster than I could save the money and uh so I did all the research I could, which at the time online was, I mean, like I said, I was super naive. That was my first year being down here. I didn't even know that there was somebody I could go knock on the door of and ask what was going on. The whole thing was such a mystery to me and so foreign that I didn't even know there was a whole thing about shapers. I had no clue. I just figured I'd go make a surfboard. And then that first one was really cool and just opened the door and, and I was like well I made another one the next month I think next month I made two more and it just snowballed um, were you working at fiberglass Hawaii for a period yeah yeah um, I let's see so I found out when I was doing all my research for my first board that you could buy surfboard blanks at fiberglass Hawaii which was somewhere and I was like cool I'm gonna get them from them and I found the address and they were three blocks away from me I had no clue they were even in California when I was looking at their, their old website. Yeah, the name out, is were, misleading. Yeah, they were literally three blocks away, and it was like 4.40 in the afternoon. I just looked at my watch. I was like, oh, my God, and just bolted out the door, ran down the street, walked in for the first time, and just stared. I was like, oh, man, like, cool. And even at that point, it was like a 1,000-square-foot little place. It was, you know, Wade Easterling, and I think he had one or two employees at the time. And I think I started working there within probably six months five months of of being an avid customer (laughs) um and i was i knew i needed to get a you know some kind of part-time job and i was like well i could work here until i find like you know a waiter job or something like that something you know a quote real job Mm -hmm. and i ended up staying there for two and a half years Um, and it became that working there became my education instead of learning under somebody or being taught how to shape i learned composites and glassing blank choice options all of that and just got little bits and pieces of advice from different shapers and that advice was usually uh do something else with your life Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was uh that was the number one piece of advice i was given not very good at following directions i guess um so listeners who don't know fiberglass hawaii is a surfboard and marine supply right basically mm-hmm. uh, shop distribution. You get, you know, so, they they distributed for Clark Foam at the time. Um, they they're US Blanks main distributor now. They yeah. so you can walk in there and 
they've got everything you need to build surfboards, boats, airplanes, whatever the hell you want to do with with composites, fiberglass, yeah. everything. Yeah. And obviously, we're um, talking about the location in Ventura, but they are mm-hmm. based out of Hawaii back from like 1966. So yeah. they've been around forever. That's why the name is Fiberglass Hawaii. Yeah. But they have locations elsewhere. Yeah, and they um, at the time I started working there, they were in Santa Barbara. And after about a year of working there, we, we moved the shop down to Ventura, and now it's got that big warehouse with yeah. it's like a giant candy store. If you want to build a surfboard, you walk in there, your mind's going to get blown. Yeah, and so I would imagine, obviously, that's a great, great starting point for you because you have customers every day, all day, coming in asking how to do mm-hmm. very detailed things with board building, right? It was it was really interesting. I always kind of thought it was a little funny that there I was, you know, like 20 years old, 21, when I was working there, that, uh, that I should be the one telling people how to do what they were doing, but I mean, I... I'm an obsessive learner, and when when I get my claws into something, there's I will spend 15 hours a day reading and thinking about it and trying it and doing it. And so, I mean, it took me a few months of of just listening to Wade, the the manager there, is an incredible resource for for learning whatever. And so, if you have a question and the time's there, so if you're working for him and there's a moment, ask something. He'll he'll tell you exactly the right answer and. I mean, things that he told me 10 years ago, I still think about all the time. I remember the first time I saw him pull a pin line on a board that we were just messing with, I was like, holy shit, man. Like, he was a, he's a phenomenal airbrusher mm-hmm. and pin liner and painter. Um, and so I, every time I pull a pin line or a cut lap or just tape, I'm just like, do it like Wade, do it like Wade, just fluid and perfect. And I still watch him do it. I'm like, whoa. Mm-hmm. It's it's so cool watching someone that's done it for you know thirty years. Just oh, it's amazing. Um, what kind of fish were you saving up to buy? Do you remember who, like who did you <laughs> want to have it shaped by? Uh, at the time, I didn't know. I was really hoping to get one off of Craigslist or eBay oh. or a garage sale because okay. it was kind of like that that time where everyone was scoring on the garage sales for like a hundred bucks, and if you could find one that somebody hadn't found already, you'd be in the money. Right. Um, nobody was really making them. Um, Steve Brom was making them in town here, but they were way out of my 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 league. It was not. Um, I mean, I could go look at them all the time and, and wish that I could get one, but um, he was the only one here doing it. And even even at that, I mean, this was you know maybe in San Diego the the whole revolution thing was already kind of going. But I mean, man, Santa Barbara for for having created so many futuristic and modern things that come out i mean the best of the best is out of here i don't really care what anybody says like santa barbara created modern surfing uh we are behind the times like the the general community here is very um santa barbara centric you know and and i get it i am too now it's definitely happened to me but um you know you don't all the boards that are popular down in LA, Orange County, wherever, we don't have them in the water here. No. Um, you know, guys that are do, that have huge factories down in San Diego can't sell a board for two thirds of what they charge for down there up mm-hmm. here. Nobody, nobody is even aware of the brand. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, we've got a lot of good stuff here, and people are really like kind of tried and true in what they what they like, and it's really hard to break in to anything here so it's a it's a really kind of 
bubble yeah. here. Yeah, I wish I had a better word for that. But um, well, when you started making boards, you wanted to make that fish. Obviously, where did your um, what type of boards did you gravitate towards? Mm. Um, I was I basically I watched the trailer for Glass Love when it came out. This would have been about I think I saw it in like 2004. I remember watching it on Surfline. And it was a, a twin fish being ridden there that just opened my mind to everything. It was one of Mick Mackey's boards, um, the, a little like a side cut fish. Um, and the, it just kind of it blew my mind. So I was, I was looking at basically twin fishes, single fins, bonzers. Okay. That was really all I cared about. Um, long boards too, because that's what I was surfing a bunch of, but I, I wasn't like fanatically interested in the design of longboards. I, you know, obviously they have beautiful curves and all that, but the type of surfing I want to do, um, isn't suited to longboards. What about seeing that footage in glass love, um, opened your mind? I don't know. I, I think it was, a they were surfing like a small right point, like probably like thigh waist high. I think it was in New Zealand. Um, it was like all black and white and just real, slow like you know andrew kidman's style um but there was just so much flow and it just looked enjoyable and also approachable which is i think yeah a huge part of why the movement has kind of happened is it's approachable you can watch somebody surfing a twin fish even if they're doing phenomenally difficult things but most surfers can look at that and be like i think i could do that yeah you know you, you don't watch somebody doing a rodeo flip and and be like "Ooh, i think i could do that so true it doesn't happen that you can't relate it is such an interesting point i did feel that way watching free jazz vein where it is a little bit mind altering for that reason like oh my gosh when you watch john john doing the alley-oop you're Mm -hmm. like i could never do that but when you watch this stuff it's (laughs) it's familiar enough even though the their technical, their degrees of technical ability are mm-hmm. beyond what mine are. It's still the same, a similar approach. Yeah. But then some of the equipment that they are riding in the film is different than what I'm riding, and it allows them to go different places on the wave. Mm-hmm. And they actually do take lines that I wouldn't have even thought of taking. Yeah. But I know I have the ability to kind of get there. Yeah. So that is kind of a really interesting detail about that. Those yeah. films. Yeah, and it's you know that a lot of the more intricate lines guys are taking too aren't the hardest thing to no. do, but it's a more thoughtful approach, and you just have to surf a ton to even think, oh, maybe I'll go there on the wave this time because I've done the other way sixteen times today. I want to try something else. Yeah, and well, just an, an open like an open mindedness to to give it a shot instead of say I'm going to pump for the entire hundred yards of this wave until the closeout section at the end. And then do one big air so that I can get paid for a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't relate to that at all. Nobody pays me for photos. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> your, your dreams have still never been achieved about people paying you for photos. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I didn't even think about that one. Sore subject. Oh, God. Um, I'm a failure. No, but I think it's also <laughs> opening your mind to what the board wants to do. Like the board will find trim mm-hmm. and will find those places on the wave. And it's when I'm actually trying to impose my will on the board that it doesn't find that trim, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that open-mindedness is something else mm-hmm. to keep in mind. There's a lot of listening to a surfboard that, that you can do that'll get you a long ways. Yeah. That um, a lot of people kind of miss that point. But that's, I mean, 
that's the whole thing. Different structure, different folks. There's no one better thing than anything else. It's just finding what matches you. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no better or worse in any aspect of any of this. It's just, you know, as long as you have a positive attitude and you, you're, you know, down with the thing you're doing, cool. Go I'll, for it. I want to talk about some of the boards that you've um, been making in the subsequent years. You've got, like, I think the stuff that, I see continually pop up is like the V balls, mm-hmm. the rabbit's foot, um, which is finless asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. So those are pretty interesting concepts that I think are worth discussing on the show. Maybe okay. we start with asymmetry. Okay. I've had Donald Brink on the show. I've had um, Matt Parker at Album Surfboards on the show, and they both explained asymmetry very differently. And I still feel like it's completely un- an unknown quantity, but mm-hmm. I want to continue the conversation. What's your interest in exploring asymmetry in surfboard design? Um, I mean, it makes sense to me. It's, it's, I mean, you know, look how differently you surf on your forehand versus your backhand. You know, there's the front, front half of your foot is real different from the back half. It makes sense that you should be able to design a surfboard that plays to the strengths of either one of those two, you know, balance points i guess um but uh for me like i I don't really play with asymmetry too i mean i do but not not too much um the rabbit's foot obviously has a lot of that going on and in that i think symmetrical finless boards uh i I think you're barking up the wrong tree on that one um i I always kind of joke with with people and they ask me like okay so I'm going to go, I surf backside most of the time, but I want a rabbit's foot, you know, which side should be longer. I'm like, you know, you're going to have to help me find that out because backside finless riding is pretty much like the unridden realm. I mean, some guys are, you know, do it, but not nearly as effectively as frontside. And so I always say like, you know, guys used to say pipeline was unsurfable, but look at it now. So I fully expect someone will figure out, you know, backside finless riding, but, uh, I haven't seen it done like really effectively yet. Um, so there's still a long ways to go within using asymmetry, I think in that one aspect. Um, but it's not, it's, I, I, I like to play with asymmetry mostly in, um, rockers, um, in, you know, cause it's not that a twin fish doesn't work for most people. It works for most people but there's a few things you could do like twist it that take away some of the little sticky spots that people criticize their twins for say well they're hard on my backhand well you can twist the rocker and it solves that problem um does that affect it going for front side though um depends on which way you twist it but it shouldn't you know if you give if you're a regular foot going right all the time you leave you know the toe side real flat and then kick the heel side and, and, you know, basically twist it clockwise, I guess, if you're looking at the tail. You know, you've got a, a flatter toe-side rocker, so you're still skating, making tons of speed. And then when you do your cutback, you've got more rocker than your toe-side, so it's going to whip around quicker and not spin out or not be as sticky. Um, and at the same time, when you're going backside on that same board, you have a tighter arc that you can, you know, put down off your heel side. And you can square up a little quicker. And that's, I mean, if you've ever ridden a really flat rockered board on your backhand, it's not really very fun. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, I mean, so you I would want a that... lot more rocker. And then, of course, when you, you know, come up the face 
and start to wrap it around, you can put so much pressure on your toe side on a, on a backhand cutback that you do want that flatter rocker because you okay. can accelerate so hard off of that that it just makes it even more fun. So, I mean, it kind of solves that right there. Hmm. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> one of my questions with asymmetry is that with a, just the human being standing on a surfboard, riding it on the water, there's very few elements that are actually pre- predictable and symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Water's traversing mm-hmm. it, it never symmetrically. Um, and there's always so many variables at play Mm -hmm. that my brain just thinks that like the simplest (laughs) design might be the best solution because I don't know how to account for all of these things. No, I mean, unless you have like the deepest quiver ever and have it on you at all times, ready for whatever. And you know, each of the boards intricately, which is, you know, a luxury that a few people that really champion, you know, these things are they have like birch i mean holy hell he has so many surfboards it's insane and the amount that the depth of knowledge he has within his boards and what he's doing and his own the knowledge of himself that he has in surfing is phenomenal Mm -hmm. so i mean that yeah absolutely it works mental for him and he can open a lot of doors for people that are you know on that same track um I don't think asymmetry or any, any one thing solves everything for everyone. I don't think we'll ever see any revolution like that ever again within yeah. surfing. Yeah. I think that's done. Hmm. Um, all we'll see is small, small windows opening or bigger windows opening for people to kind of add things to their quiver that make it more enjoyable or open a pathway to, to learn about yourself a little more and what you're doing in the water. And I think that one aspect that surfing can teach you about yourself and your approach is really what got a lot of our favorite surfers hooked on surfing in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that's coming back around. That's Where do you think the greatest, uh, potential for improvement is in board design? Mm. <laughs> uh, so I'm flip-flopping between making a really bad joke and not right now. I can't <laughs> in my head. Um, <laughs> I would say probably like realistically, um, Finless stuff, I think, is uh, there is a huge open door for finless surfing. And if you show a kid a surf movie that has a finless section in it, and you ask him after, you know, six or eight year old kid, ask him afterwards what kind of what what surfer he wants to be, always finless surfer Mm -hmm. every time because it looks fun. It looks so it looks so enjoyable and it's difficult. But all these kids are getting hooked on finless stuff right now. 15 years from now is when it's going to happen. It's, you know, they got time. They're going to develop their thing and they're going to surf insane. And the, you know, the small, there's a handful of guys that are really blowing minds, um, on finless stuff. And that's, that's something that I think is going to go much, much bigger. Um, so just in terms of understanding and, you know, When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. 
LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. What design implements do you have with the rabbit's foot? And maybe just mm. explain what the board looks like to people okay. who haven't seen it. And then um, where does it go from here? How do you accommodate mm, the growth that we're going to see? Um, so the rabbit's foot basically is, if you take it, generally are about 5'7"-ish in that range, about 20 to 21 wide, like two and a quarter thick. They're, it's like a, nowadays they're more of like a twin fish outline roughly, but where the, the toe side extends probably six inches or so, six or eight inches longer than the heel side and then swoops up to meet that. So it's got this big like snaggle tooth on the toe side. Um, there's a few different little kinks in the board that that act as switches in in a way um and concaves and edges and things that all kind of hold and one of my goals within that design was to simplify it i I think a lot of people are going way too complex with finless stuff and if you're really thinking about it if you're trying to hold water or not hold it but utilize it uh cleaner is better if you can um Everything, you know, every little bump and break creates turbulence in my mind. Um, And that helps in some aspects, but I don't really want a lot of turbulence under my board if I already am like barely in control of it without fins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd like to be very connected and Mm -hmm. very clean. Um, But yeah, the rabbit's foot basically has like a, a big sloping concave that goes from the heel side to the toe side. It's almost like a Nike swoosh. Okay. Um, and then there's an extra little concave in the toe side, just about two and a half inches wide, roughly, um, that runs down the two thirds of the toe side. That's an extra little kind of hook. Okay. Um, and that, I mean, to go all the way back to the beginning of it, it was it was Dan Malloy's original um, design. I didn't know that. Um, very few people do because there's some political stuff that I'm still confused of how it's supposed to go. But, um, but basically Dan had the idea he had, I think he had made one or two and asked me to, he had a broken, um, Greg little that he was riding without fins and it worked really well and it held water really well. Um, 
and he wanted to cut the the big hook in the toe side and then put a concave that sloped from the heel towards the toe side. And so the, the first one was a, a Greg Little. We ripped the glass off the bottom, cut the outline differently, and then put a giant concave in. Um, and that was really the only one that um, was like that. It, it had the basic concept, but it is a far cry from where they went even the next board after that. It took... The next board was... It was a, a blank that I had, it had been sitting for probably three years, just in a little, on, under a shelf. It was EPS, um, and it was a displacement hole. It was already shaped out, and I was like, well, shit, I could just take that thing, cut the tail into it, do the concaves, and if that works also, because the other one worked pretty good, if the second one made out of something completely different and with a whole, you know, the same concept but executed totally differently... If this one works also, then to me that proves the concept and we can keep messing around. Um, and that second one worked way better than the first one. Um, so instantly from the second one, I changed the materials, I changed the outline, I changed all these things to, to suit the design a little bit and just kind of followed that thread. Um, and then just, it went a lot farther. Because <laughs> yeah. there, I mean, if you look at the, Maybe I'll dig up one of the, the the photos of the first board versus where they're at now. That's I mean you can see the resemblance, but you're talking about you know like a I don't know maybe a, a old Greg Knoll longboard versus you know a really nicely foiled modern longboard. It's a very different machine. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean having Dan's input and enthusiasm for the project was. I mean, for me, a dream come true. Who wouldn't want to work with Dan? I know. I mean, good Lord. <laughs> so is there footage or anything of him riding that? Um, there is a little bit here and there. Um, there is a an issue somewhere I'm still kind of unclear that, that, I mean, you know, most pro servers are under, under contract to, to ride somebody's boards. Um, and if you... You know, I'm I'm not very shy about posting a photo of a project if I'm working on it. I share as much as possible because that's just what I like to do. I'm very I'm really open and like to share. And so for me, it's yeah, of course I'm going to put up a picture of a board I just did with with you know anybody. But uh, if if it's that interesting, there's no way in hell I'm not going to share it. And so posting a photo or you know got gets people in hot water. And I was plenty naive and working out and just you know, out in the boonies by myself. And I didn't think it was a big deal, but apparently it caused some issues in a boardroom. And, um, so it got real fuzzy from there. Got it. Got <laughs> it. So those images might not exist anymore. Uh, they do. They do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's not, it's not nearly like as serious a subject as, as I probably make it sound. It's okay. fine. Um, okay. it just, I, I had a lot of people upset with me for a while. something that I didn't know that I did really. Yeah. Um, and I'm also, I mean, for being, pretty outgoing and sharing i'm also like really timid when it comes to confrontation or anything like that so i haven't done a good job of of clearing the air on that got it um well, i think the industry has changed since then too i don't know that anybody would care that much anymore yeah i don't know because i mean you know if i think they do for sure do you <laughs> um it's I, yeah yeah it's, i just feel um, like some of those big companies have lost their clout and um and those Team riders don't have those contracts anymore, even. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I mean, people are still because it's it's something that, of course, learning from that. I'd, I'd be an idiot if I didn't learn from that experience. Um, I always ask now, like, okay, so yeah, you know, this guy that I know rides for these guys, but really wants. Usually, it's a rabbit's foot. I have to ask them, like, okay, so is this something that you want to just like buy from me as a customer, or am I going to give this to you and try to get photos, or is this a hush hush kind of thing, or what? What are what exactly is the deal here? And I hate asking that question, but I ruffled feathers many times sure. in the past, and I don't mean to. I just want to see what these guys will do on that board because who doesn't? Look, look at what happens. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, how much of your um shaping experience is informed by getting feedback from mm. writers versus you writing the boards yourself and taking your own lots feedback. and lots and lots and lots of feedback from people. I mean, I'm, I'm a textbook workaholic. I spend more time shaping than surfing. Absolutely. Um, I, if you ask me about my feedback and my boards, that's where the mid lengths come from. All my mid length design is my boards and my feelings on my stuff. Um, the rabbit's foot, I have really shitty knees, and I'm not as flexible. I mean, I'm 6'2 and 190. I'm not I'm pretty, like, bean pole on the bottom half and then heavy on the top half. And so I, I'm not a perfect rabbit's foot rider. I, I have a very hard time riding them, so I have to go off of what the guys are telling me and what I'm seeing. Because um, a lot of times the best surfers also don't know how to tell you what they're feeling. It's just fully right. intrinsic. Um, and some guys are better and some guys aren't, and sometimes... You know, you even within the rabbit's foot specifically, there's probably about four different versions that I give to different people depending on what they're asking me for. And I don't really break down the differences with anyone. I just know, okay, this is a feedback I got from this guy. He likes these kind of waves. This guy's going to ride it here. I'm going to give him this spin on it. And then, you know, and sometimes I'll make a really good one for one guy and then give it to the other guy. And they don't like it nearly as much as the old one. Um, but really with, with the design where it's at now to kind of come back to what you're saying a minute ago is where the design is going or where it's at. Um, I've pretty much hit a standstill with, with that design. I, to me, it's, I mean, I don't think anything's really ever perfect, but I think the rabbit's foot where it's at right now, design shape wise is exactly where I want it. Hmm. The, I mean, if you watch Ari Brown surf one of those things, I don't know what more in the world you would want someone to do on your board. He's, I don't know how many times any of us will ever seen surfing, surfing like legitimately redefined. I think Ari does that absolutely on that board. Um, and he's a phenomenal surfer, but I've also watched him surf other finless boards and he doesn't do the same thing. It's a, okay. there's something going on there. Um, so the, the, I think the, um, the big, leap to make within finless design or at least my personal finless design obviously there's a million other designs that are going to come out that'll probably be better um i hope somebody does that's that's the whole idea you know progression um but construction okay. uh right now they're all stringerless eps and okay. it's you know they have a lot of a lot of float and a lot of pop um for for how small they are but if you could get something that you know the reason that the best Elias work as well as they do is, which is, you know, still what we're referring back to for, you know, good finless surfing is the, the way that they flex and you, know, you push on them, they bend in they hold water and they, they bite like a snowboard and then they release and spring you out and project you. If we could get 
a rabbit's foot to flex, like in Elia, you would see some, I mean, the amount of like spring and projection that Ari gets out of his board, I think would be probably doubled, which is already a ton. I don't even know how you would control more, but that's also the reason to push it because you got to find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom Wagner's actually been doing a really cool construction that he calls a corky, um, which I think I figured out how he's making it in my head. But it looks like that that construction has the amount of flex that I want um, mm. for the rabbit's foot. Um, and, of course, there's a million projects to do, but I'd really like to give him one and have him construct it like that. If that is the goal with that board design, why not try it out of even just polyurethane with a stringer or something? Like uh, that? The original one was poly with a stringer, and the, I've done probably three or four since then. You know, because you always try and bounce off the walls with an idea. Just yeah. okay, if this one works, let's take a left turn and see if the next one works. If that one works, go all the way back to the right and hit the, that wall and. So even after the EPS one started working, I went back to do another poly one with the exact same shape. They're dogs. Really? Finless boards, finless boards that are polyester have probably 20% of the life, like springiness and like just uh, life that okay. an EPS one does. The, the EPS has that kind of high frequency tension on the water, that tingy kind of feeling. And for finless surfing, that's that's the that's the jam. Hmm. And I've talked to a few people, you know, some really seasoned finless guys that that ride poly ones, and I asked them like, so why don't you ride EPS? And they're like, well, my shaper doesn't want to make it hmm. out of EPS, and they all agree that EPS ones are better, but the shapers just won't do it because it's hard to work with. Oh, so okay. But I mean, that all being said, you don't see me producing rabbit's feet. I, I take maybe one one order for them every other month. And most people, I either kind of turn away or um, not not like, no, you can't have this, but just, you know, kind of reality check. Do you really want to spend $1,000 on something? Because I don't want to see it on Craigslist, you know? Right. I don't want to flood the market with this really cool board that, shit, if there was 20 of them in Iraq, how cool would that look? I mean, they're out there, little spaceships. But uh, I don't, I'm by no means trying to flood the market with finless boards. I don't think it's ready for it. Um, yeah. If the surfer's unpractical about their own ability level, yeah. there's no sense. In... Which I think even the average surfer usually is anyways. Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, add, you know, then rip the fins out of them for them. Yo, yeah. Good luck on your mushy beach break. It's not going to go. And you're going to yeah, sell yeah. it. And I'm going to be bummed because I feel like I let you down because the board didn't work for you. Exactly. Nobody wants that. No. Um, so the rabbit's foot I, I've kept is a real like, R&D kind of thing yeah. for me and I generally try and discuss the board a fair amount before someone gets one mm -hmm. um, just to kind of clue them in to the kind of latest updates on what, what's going on with them um, and it's a really fun project. Yeah, talking about um, how you've you're playing the long game not flooding the market and trying to make the right decision for the customer and all that sort of stuff mm. tell me about um, your surfboard brand as it's grown over the years and mm -hmm. uh, what have some of the challenges been and what is it, what's the model currently? Um, I think it's, I, I don't think I'm really up against any challenges that anyone growing up doesn't face. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, trying to have a family in the next little while and trying, I would love to buy a house sometime, but 
how the fuck do you do that here with, you know, what do you make on surfboards? And so it's, you know, so my, my brand quote unquote, or the thing I'm doing is, is really facing the same challenges that anyone else is. So as it's grown, I mean, I went from, you know, even two years ago, probably doing about 15 to 20 boards a month, start to finish myself. I did about 4,000 to 4,500 boards start to finish myself in a, basically in a one room shack. Um, I was doing like legitimate, like one, one person production out of a 10 by 12 room mm-hmm. on a farm. <laughs> um, and how long of a period of time was that growth from? Um, cause that's like a 10, that was probably, growth. yeah, that was probably, you know, from beginning to then, you know, was, I've been doing it about 13 years now. Okay. From, I mean, from the first board, so like, quote, doing it. Um, it's been my full time and my, you know, my 100% focus for probably 10 of those years. Okay. Um, but just in the last two years, um, something happened. I don't know what it is. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm doing 10 to 15 a week plus, all hand shaped. And that's. You know, the word hand-shaped is something that gets tossed around a lot um, and marketed a lot. But uh, as far as I know, within the industry, there's three of us that legitimately hand-shape numbers like that. Um, and even then, there's a percentage within those that are machined anyways because they don't have the time. or the, you know, So, you know, you, you run into the same issues. The customer service, the wait time goes through the roof. The price keeps going up. All of these factors happen as your business grows and grows and grows because how the hell do you scale one person? You can't. You can only do so much. And then also, I mean, you could sit in a room and do five, six a day, five days a week, but you're not going to have a life. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be the guy that people actually want to go surfing with. Like, no one's going to want to hang out with you. <laughs> it's, I, I would imagine you know. those boards might not even be their best version anyways if mm-hmm. you're not happy. You know? No, I don't think so. I think happiness has a lot to do with, with shaping, and I think I think hand-shaping is a lot of what that happiness comes from. I, I don't... I mean, different strokes for different folks. There are guys that absolutely love machine shaping because it tickles that part of them. It wants to replicate one thing down to a billionth of an inch over and over and over and really refine it and click a button to adjust the rocker a 16th of an inch to make the board that much better or whatever. But that being said, if you're making minute adjustments like that, I think you, within surfboards, as long as they're like still glassed by hand and, and finished by hand, yeah. which isn't going to be much longer, there's a machine that that finish shapes too and routes the fin boxes in at the same time. So the shaper is going to be completely out of the question to give it. It's the machine already exists. Um, that's going to, yeah, it's, it's getting bad, <laughs> but also good because that's, that works for a lot of people. That's what they want. Yeah. And there is no better or worse. I don't think that, you know, one way should be, should be the only way. Every way should be, you know, viable because mm-hmm. we all want something different. The market cool. will decide. Yeah, and and the market's going to decide that everything's fine. Everyone should be able to make a living as long as you run your business responsibly. That's the issue. A lot of people aren't really willing to do that, or they want too much, or they don't know how to want what they deserve, you know, all of this stuff. So, I mean, in terms of my, my business, we all hit 
this wall where, okay, so now I have two or three guys helping me with the customer service end, and that's hard enough because I'm a perfectionist and I want everyone stoked all the time. And I'm really trying. And I, I mean, I work my butt off to keep people happy. Uh, but you know, things start falling through the cracks because this, that, or the other, or, you know, someone didn't get back to an email fast enough. Now the customer's pissed or something like that. And so these are the, those are the things that you have to start kind of chopping off, you know, the limbs of the tree of, you know, if you're your own thing and you're this tree, you have to start chopping off pieces of the things that you do for your company to save the one main branch or the, you know, the trunk of what you're doing. And, and for me, I decided a long time ago, my trunk is hand shaping. That's what I care about. And I can figure out the other things in, in business to, that I can chop off or have people help me with as long as I'm still hand shaping. Um, and I don't know what that looks like 10 years from now, the price may be really out there or just, it'll be like a, one of those, I like when old guys do the, you know, there's no due date on your board. Mm -hmm. You just, it's going to happen when it happens. Um, but that doesn't resonate with a lot of people because they want production boards, you know? So, so my, my solution, this is the part that I'm, I'm really excited about actually, um, is me and, a um, my partner Gianni and some of the younger guys in town here and through meeting and working with Rich Pavel and Jerry Lopez through trim shop we've all kind of come up with this. It was a shop brand first with Trimcraft surfboards. And the, the idea was that me and Jerry and Rich would land a design or two or three, however much we wanted to, to younger shapers that want to hand shape and perfect their craft. So what the company gives them is consistent work, consistent pay. You don't have to worry about emails. You don't have to worry about customer service or affording the blanks that you need to buy. You just take 10 blanks from us, shape our designs that, you know, that we taught to these guys. We, we work with them because all of us are, you know, care deeply about the name and the design and the things going on. And, and then they come back, they get paid for their work. We send the boards out to glassing and then the boards go out to retail shops. So we, the the thing that Trimcraft what what's so cool about it is it, is it puts life back into production hand shaping, and and making a viable like livable wage while hand shaping surfboards, where that does not exist and it hasn't for twenty five thirty years no matter what people think, no one's been doing that for a very very long time, um, and then at the same time, you know the company wasn't built to make money it was built to build boards. So the, the margin for on the retail end is really good. So all these shops are super psyched to have Trimcraft stuff. So we went from having a shop brand that was a cool project and a really cool idea to now where I think between the East and West Coast, we have uh, 12, probably like 16 to 18 shops open that have the boards now, like full time. And we've got six or seven young shapers hand shaping as much work as they want and making a living off of it. I'm like, awesome. how cool is that? Like it's very cool. These guys, I, I, it's so cool. And it's something that would be completely unrealistic. Even four years ago, five mm -hmm. years ago, it just didn't exist. The, the thought wasn't even, you know, doable. And now it's, it's actually working and it's, it's 
it's very cool. So, so that's just... the, that's my solution yeah. to my thing is I want a handshape. I want to foster community and I want people to actually be receiving handshape boards when they think they're paying for a handshape board. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of guys selling $1,600, $2,000 boards, even $1,000 boards that they're advertised as hand shaped all over the internet. But what you're seeing is a photo of a hand shaped board that that person made. And the caption says nine, six hand shaped by blah, blah, blah. But you go to a shop and you imagine, cause you believe what you're told that then all the boards are hand shaped. No, no, it's just that one board in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> right. All of the ones are off a machine and there was probably some other guy that finished shaped it, you know, that got paid 30 bucks to do it. Um, to me, that's, that's all fine and dandy if you tell people that's what they're paying for and they still want to buy it. But if everyone thinks they're buying some, you know, amazing craft from the person you saw in the photos with it, and then you're paying $2,000 to get it, I think there's a lot of dishonesty. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to ego because nobody wants to be, to be like, painted that way because everyone there's a stigma about it everyone thinks it's bad Mm -hmm. i don't think it's bad i think it's fine you're shit if i was machine shaping i would tell everyone i was doing it because it's dead on every time and i can spend more time surfing i can make your board four times faster and keep the cost down and replicate one thing flawlessly over and over those are a lot of valuable points that machine shaping is perfect for, but these guys aren't really willing to take that like marketing angle. I don't think yeah. because it's a little scary. Um, I commend um, Jeff McCallum. He, he fucking held up his end of the bargain when he started using machine a few years ago. I was really impressed. I was like, that's what's up, man. Mm-hmm. Like people know what they're getting and they're happy to get it. And look, his business is still phenomenal. Yeah. He's setting, he's setting a perfect example for what so many guys should to me be doing. And I piss off a lot of people when I talk about this stuff like that, but I also get pissed because I still see myself as a customer Yeah. because I'm, I'm from the outside. I'm still feel like I'm on the outside. And if I'm walking in a surf shop and I'm about to pay $1,600 for a board, it sure as shit better be handshaped for that much. Or money. it should be what it says. That it yeah. Is. Yeah. There. So what, um, uh, the trim surf craft craft boards, is there like the three Pavel models? Does it say trim surf craft? This is the Pavel model. This is the Lovelace model. So we, yeah, it's the, the logo says trim craft surfboards designed by Lopez Lovelace Pavel. And that'll change as we have different shapers come through and work on different designs with people. Well, that's, you know, flexible. The, the thing that I was really intent on doing was having the person that shaped it, sign their name on the board which even back in the day for, you know, production, you know, production shortboard hand shaping stuff in the eighties and seventies guys didn't generally even sign their name on the board. They, mm-hmm. you know, it just was ghost shaping at its finest, you know, even mm-hmm. if they were hand shaped. Um, so I really wanted trim craft to, to one, give them, you know, give guys that want to perfect their craft and, and really hone in on hand shaping, uh, in a bit like that the opportunity to do that, but at the same time to build it as a platform for them to help launch their careers. Because I knew that, you know, if just, it's a legitimate thing. It's, it's something that you can reference back to in your resume during an interview or something and say, Oh, and I work with these guys right? and they help me do this and that, or I learned to twin fish from this guy or I, you know, 
it's, it's useful. And so I really want the shapers to be able to build their own brands off the backs of what we're doing. Um, I don't encourage any of the guys generally, unless they want to, to make Trimcraft their full time and only thing. I mean, it's fine by me. Cool. Go for it. Um, I would have loved to do that, um, at that age, but, uh, you know, they're all developing their brand on the, on, yeah. on the side. And I, I actually get to have a lot of fun helping them talk about what they're doing cool. and, and working with them to say, okay, well, this is, you know, kind of ask them the questions I wish somebody had asked me when I was 22 saying, okay, what parts do you enjoy the most? What parts could you let go of? Where do you want to focus? What makes you happiest? How do we make sure that your brand and the choices you're making now end you at that place where you're happy every day? Uh, what's your relationship been like working with Rich Pavel? What is anyone's relationship with Rich Pavel? That is a hell of a question. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I basically say that for Rich. I think listeners, he, like, they're like, want to hear about Jerry. <laughs> We've talked about, or people have talked mm -hmm. about Jerry mm -hmm. ad nauseum. I want to know about Rich. Like Rich is phenomenal, man. He's he is Rich Pavel is Rich Pavel. He is one of the most open, uh, caring, and and thoughtful people I've ever met. He is so on point and in the moment with where he's at that I think a lot of people get you know frustrated because they can't get a hold of him or they can't. But they love him because he's so in tune with the moment he's in. Well, those two things are a function of each other. You can't be everywhere all at once. Um, and Rich is really applied in the moment that he's in. And I want that for everybody. I want that for me, but I, I can't do it. Like, it's just, Rich is a, a phenomenally thoughtful, um, and generous, and, and caring person. Yeah. That um, he gets a bad rap because. He's not sitting on his computer 15 hours a day. I tell you what, though, he does answer emails every day. Yeah. Um, people not, don't think he does, but he does. Well, he, <laughs> maybe not everybody's email, but he does work through the ones that have been waiting a while. And I've seen him do it in yeah. my room. Um, so I, I know him, obviously, a little bit. And um, <laughs> I've wanted to have him on this show, but I'm so afraid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to find him first. I We cross paths every once in a while. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it, but it's like, I don't have eight hours to contribute to that interview and I don't have the hard drive space mm -hmm. and it's a long talk. It's a long talk. And, um, am I okay with like a nonlinear discussion? Mm -hmm. Like, can I just let it go? And then mm -hmm. maybe I just break that into four episodes and like parcel mm -hmm. it out to my listeners every once in a while, mm -hmm. you know, but ultimately it's gonna happen. I'm going to yeah. make sure that it happens. But again, I'm just not sure I'm ready for it. Yeah. Rich is, Rich is great, man. He's. There's a really good, the first time I met him, um, we were at a, a little surf museum in Australia. Um, and we were both doing a talk to like a little panel discussion. Okay. It's me, Jordan Noble and Rich. Um, that was the first time I got to meet him sitting next to him. And I was just, I had, I had fawned over his stuff for years. So many pieces of Rich's designs are in my boards and little bits and pieces from the very beginning. Um, and so it was excuse me it was exactly that it was a super non-linear panel discussion mm -hmm. <laughs> and that the whole the video of that entire um thing is online if is you it? i don't remember what you searched to find it but if you searched on youtube like you're gonna see probably a 22 year old me talking about things i probably didn't know about um 
but I think if you search like Lovelace, Pavel, um, discussion or something like that, it's a, it's a long video and you get to sit and listen to Rich talk about theory and all that stuff. And it would, yeah. You just strap in, just go for the ride. Totally. And that's the people that, you know, the people that are interested in, and want to listen to what Rich has to say are going to listen. That's, you know. They will tune in all four episodes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. So I'm curious, um, who's surfing do you like to watch? Mm. Um, Trevor Gordon. Okay. He, he's one of my best friends, but I, I swear to God, I'll go surfing and just watch him surf and just love every minute of it. Um, it's also frustrating because I want those waves too. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, but I, you know, it's just something to me that you know I've spent most of my time watching him surf, and he surfs the way I want my board surfed. So mm. it is ultimately satisfying on a lot of levels. Um, Trevor Ari Brown also Ari. I can, I don't sit and watch internet clips often, and usually when I do, it's kind of like my music choice. I will watch the same clips I've watched, and it's generally one of Ari's. Um, Who would you like to see ride your boards that you haven't seen? Um, that's an interesting question. I would like to, you know, I don't even know if I have any specific, um, desires. I was actually talking last night at a, at the party with, with a, um, customer friend and he was telling me that Jimmy Gamboa rode a V-Bowls and was enjoying it at Malibu. I would really like to see that yeah. happen. I didn't know it had happened, um, and apparently it was a sight. I would love to see Jimmy surf a V-Bowls, because there's parts of a V-Bowls that relate very heavily to a displacement hull, but they allow for a lot more high-performance surfing and a lot more modern approach to lines and speed. Um, and Jimmy can do all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. How much surf media do you consume? Do you a subscribe to any magazines? Keep up with surf films and edits? Um, I do not subscribe to any surf magazines. I do like what Surfer Magazine is doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're taking a really good turn. Um, the Surfer's Journal, I try to read cover to cover every time it comes out. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's they do a phenomenal job. Um, web clips and stuff i mean i probably get to even sit down at a computer maybe on average like 15 minutes a day um if you were to compile it and that's probably actually turns into two days a week for maybe an hour each day if that and and then in that moment i'm working through emails chicken quotes bookkeeping all of that i don't i think i visit maybe four i don't even know what's on the internet anymore honestly um i go on craigslist that's my. That should be my homepage. <laughs> just um, looking for your boards just, on Craigslist. No, or? just anything, any any good score. I mean, that's how I, I have an, a 1948 Chevy school bus that I lived in for two and a half years. Found that thing on Craigslist. Yeah. Um, I found so many good things on Craigslist. Just random scores. Um, and a lot of times, if I know a friend of mine is looking for something, I'll find it and be like, "Ooh, check it out." And that's mm. kind of the fun thing about Craigslist. Is I'm, I'm kind of becoming like an accidental collector. Yeah. Of, of boards and things. Um, there's a lot of little little gems that you can find here and there, but I, I don't, you know, I've been shopping for little bits and pieces for my boat that I'm putting together and building on Craigslist. Things like, I, but I go on Craigslist, uh, Surfline. I'll probably check Surfline for about 18 to 20 seconds 
to just scan the front of it, see what's going on. And if there happens to be like, you know, a really good clip of somebody I really like or something, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. I don't, um, but I do the same on surfer magazine, their website. Um, those are pretty much my, and then Gmail, <laughs> those about, are my websites. <laughs> um, who's surfing or I, I should just say whose Instagram account are you most excited to see when you're scrolling and it pops up? Which one are you most excited to see? God, it doesn't have I, to you know, be surfing. I, I don't really get to watch much TV. I watch like Netflix and I think some HBO now with my girlfriend at night before, you know, after dinner and stuff. But, uh, my shitty entertainment, which used to be consumed by television is now Instagram. Me too. Uh, I think hood clips is love a it. phenomenal account. Love. I fucking love it. I will sit and just, I can't wait until I actually, some of my best moments are when I realize I haven't checked in on hood clips in like a week. And then I know I can just sit there for just 10 minutes and watch the most outrageous shit I've seen. Um, they post like 10 times a day. Oh, it's great. So if you're catching up from a week, you could spend oh, easily yeah. 30 minutes catching totally. up. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, so that's like, you know, that mindless entertainment that we all need on some level, not all of us, but yeah. the average human wants on some level is, I get that from Instagram now. So, I mean, there's, there's like legitimately valuable accounts that I like to check out. Um, but really, um, if there's so much of the same stuff being posted all the time that I, I pretty much flip right through it until I find like a video of somebody like running into a wall yeah. or like falling through a glass window or that is something dumb. Yeah. Hood clips somebody, is great. yeah Have you, great stuff. you follow <laughs> look at this Russian? Yes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> all of those just like a concept i didn't know we needed (laughs) totally it was like but it's like you're as soon as i saw that account i'm like god and and the title is perfect i was just like you're absolutely right russia is fascinating and i get underexposed to it yeah and to get a little daily dose of look at this russian is amazing and i'm sure it's a shame that like that's the window that we get to look at it through i think it's pretty accurate but it is (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a complete telling of russia in (laughs) like in little bite-sized ones look at this american then i guess that's probably hood clips honestly hood clips and walmart probably mashed together um i'm curious a couple of wrap-up closing questions Um, how often do you ride other people's surfboards mm. shaped by other people? Very rarely. Oh, really? Um, I, my stuff, if, if you've ridden my stuff, you know that there's something a little different going on, um, feel wise generally. Um, and that's something that, that I like for my surfing and, and what I do. And there's very few shapers that I find that, um, do those same little tweaks and things that, that ultimately I think make a good board to me personally, okay. not everybody, but just for me. Um, and there's very few shapers that I'm, I'm like excited to try one of their boards. Robin Kegel is one of them. Um, he, I can hop on one of his boards and I feel like I'm, you know, understanding what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Little is the same. I don't ride his stuff and, um, anymore, but I was really at home for a while on some of his designs, um, a long time ago. Um, God, that's, that's really, um, Corey Munn out of Australia is younger shaper, his longboards for sure. But I don't, there's no mid lengths that I'll surf and be happy. Honestly, the V bowls is it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that's, I, I'm a very underconfident person. I, 
doubt what I do often. I do not ever doubt Veebles. Hmm. It's just, it's the one. It's it's my board. I could die tomorrow and be happy that I made that board. Um, I'd be remiss to not have you explain what that board is real quick. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it So there, there's parts. I was riding displacement holes for five or six years pretty exclusively. And I was really going down that rabbit hole and, you know, you spend that much time on one and there's, you can make a lot of speed and it's hard to then do anything with that speed on that design. It's very specific and I love specific designs. I think that's awesome. But as I started traveling to shape more about seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, I was surfing all kinds of different waves, but all I wanted to ride was hulls because that's what I was locked into here. Um, but I was missing a lot of moments on waves that I was surfing that I wanted to access better. Um, so I, I, the V bowls basically takes from the displacement hall one, one key concept in that the wide point is lined up on a hull, is lined up with the apex of the rocker as well as the thickest part of the board. So you've got all of the maximum dimensions lined up in the same spot. So you basically have this core of volume that is where essentially you're standing um, just ahead of center on a displacement hole. So that's what gives it that roly-poly ball bearing mm-hmm. thing that everyone loves so much about them. Um, so I basically just accidentally or, or intentionally, I'm not entirely sure, it's kind of happened this way, took that concept and moved it behind center. So I pulled the outline back um, to either a, a neutral in the middle to six or eight inches behind center, depending on the size of the board. Um, pulled the nose out longer, put the fin farther back, and then added modern stuff to the the back foot zone. So it's got a it goes the nose is bellied, the middle is bellied, and slowly transitions kind of behind center to basically a panel V and then a flat spot behind the fin. But that panel V, I ended up, after about a year or so, putting a concave into, so it's a spiral V. So basically you have that central point where all the volume is located is also the switch to where it goes from kind of hull vibe in the front, all that trimmy feeling, to um, modern and grippy and, you know, the, the it projects. It's a lot of projection off of the back foot. So it goes, you get that groovy locked in thing up front and an insane amount of trim speed because your rail line is so long with that big narrow nose to when you get on the back foot, that thing will surf like a shortboard. I mean, not, you know, like a good single fin shortboard. I actually haven't ridden. If you take a 7.2 V-Bowls and a 7.0 single fin, that V-Bowls will outsurf that single fin, even if it's a quote, high performance single fin, you can do more critical, more connected stuff on the V-Bowls. Um, if you take a V-Bowls at 6.8, take like two inches out of the middle, you basically have a shortboard hmm. um, pretty close, except the belly in the front. So it's, a, it's, it's not at all a retro board. Um, and it's, it's, it was something that I think a lot of people didn't know they needed. Hmm. Um, and it, you know, all the people that were really psyched on displacement holes... I think figured out that the V walls takes a lot of those good feelings that you're getting and updated it to a modern surfable 
you know, board that you can stomp on the back foot and stall or, you know, bury it off the bottom and still then release off the top a bit more. Hmm. Um, I mean, we're still talking about a seven, six or a seven, eight. So quote release off the top is a, a loose definition sure. <laughs> um, for what release can be. Um, but the, the V ball is really, um, that's the board. I, I, I honestly, like I'm, I'll jump around between designs and be really excited in my head just on in general. That's how I, I got to this point. But ever since the first V-Bowls, I haven't really been satisfied on hardly any other board. Um, and every time I spend a month writing something else, I go back to the V-Bowls. It's like going home and it's just, it goes from surfing to just pure enjoyment. Mm. I, I, I don't have a, a board I like more than that. I don't know if I ever will. Um, going from surfing to just pure enjoyment is a good sales pitch, man. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not trying <laughs> trying to make it a sales pitch, but yeah, like yeah. you just saying that is like, oh, you're right. That's what I should be doing. Well, it's when you just let go, and you're like, that's what it's we. True. I mean, there's times when you want to pick apart your surfing, yeah, and there's times when you want to really think. And honestly, the V bowls has given me more of that than any board ever because yeah. it actually does take you listening to the board to figure it out. Um, but man, once you, the, the learning curve on the V-Bowls is a little steep, right? I mean, you can get a wave, but it's hard to surf the board well. It's, my friend said, it's easy to surf, hard to surf it well. Mm. And that's perfect for that's, me. That's, that's what I want because I want to investigate. I want to try. I want to be applying myself as a person to what I'm trying to do. And so the V-Bowls offered me, you know, eight years of that. I'm still finding new stuff all the time on them and I still fall and I still try and figure them out. But that's exactly what I want. I, yeah. I want. I don't want everything to be perfectly flawless and easy. I want to be pushing my own limits as much as I can. Yeah, you want a that's, relationship. With yeah, that. exactly. That's, that's so living to me. That I think that was a Sean Thompson quote too, by the way, about uh, Jay Bay. Is uh, that it's easy to surf, uh, but it's really difficult well. to surf well. That sounds yeah. good. That's well, uh, I'll I, go buy a plane ticket right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, might get, I might get corrected by a listener that it actually came from somebody else, but probably I always do. Um, What's your current relationship like with surfing? How often? Um, all that? Honestly, with, with in Santa Barbara, it, it's a quality versus quantity relationship. You know, you get you can surf decently frequently, but not nearly as much as guys down south or up north can. Um, you know, from pretty much right now until mid-November, you really just try not to think about surfing unless it's pumping, and then you go get yours. Um, but you know, in the winter, surf as much as possible. I'm, I would probably describe myself as a shaper more than a surfer. If you were to try and define what I do. Um, I think most shapers would probably say the same thing. I think Jeff said something similar to that in, in his interview too. And, and I found that interesting cause I thought I was kind of alone, but I would, I mean, I love spending hours in the shaping room mm-hmm. and I love surfing, but the, the level of enjoyment I get from surfing reaches the level of enjoyment I get from shaping when it's empty, perfect, like head high, and I've got like my three or four best friends there. How often does that happen? I mean, I can get, I can get like peak enjoyment out of shaping almost every day. I end up dancing and singing most of the time I'm shaping. I'm, I'm going apeshit. I'm having a real good time. I love what I'm doing. Um, and surfing... That's also the draw of it can be one or the other. Um, it is rare that I'm angry in shaping. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I'm in a bad mood and I start shaping, that's going to switch within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you get locked into the zone, you start doing your thing. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, I probably, in the winter, you know, surf three, four times a week as much as possible whenever they swell. But really, Santa Barbara is, is not a place for consistent waves. Right. But it's a place for really phenomenally good waves mm-hmm. when it happens. Um, and I don't mind that because I have a lot of a lot of shit to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, it works out. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last question is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? Mm. What was I riding that day? 7-2 V-Bulls. I was going to assume that it was the yeah. V-Bulls. <laughs> it's, uh, is it right behind me? No, it's just around the corner. It's, I have, um, my magic board has been a 7-2 V-Bulls the last couple of years. Um, but it's really, I mean, the 7-4 and the 7-6 is just like the baseline. Like okay. that's the board. But the 7-2, I get to surf a bit more aggressively and get to surf hollower waves and push my surfing more. It's my shortboard. I don't have a, really a shortboard other than my 7-2 V-Bulls. I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger guy, so it works out for me. But, um, yeah, that board, as long as it's over, like, thigh high, it's pretty much the board for me. Where'd you ride it and when? Um, I can't say. Okay. <laughs> what <laughs> was, style of wave? It was, it was it two weeks way. ago. Uh, it was a really, really fun reef break. Um, really kind of bully, right? Like, it bends at you, um, and it's fast. And then the left is a bit more playful. Um, but it's one of those waves that'll, that's coming at you and it looks about chest high. And then you spin and start paddling and it's like you know, a couple feet overhead by the time you hit the bottom of it. Um, really, really fun wave for a V-Bolts. You just, the whole day it was pretty much just drop in pretty straight, hit the bottom, go up and just glide right on the high line. Just what, you know, with the lip, like right under your armpit, you know. Mm-hmm. hit the bottom again do it one more time and kick out before the rock um, so, which is real fun for me I like going fast yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah cause it's a, it was a, it's a it's a fast way right on dude thank you very much yeah thank you Good appreciate job. you coming out after a late night yeah always <laughs> well I'm accustomed to a smooth ride oh maybe I'm a dog who's lost his pride I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more I don't expect to sleep through the night So people say lies, lies, lies But I say why? Why deny the obvious child? Why deny the obvious child? And in remembering a road sign I'm remembering a girl when I was young And we said these songs are true These days are ours These tears are free hey, The cross is in the ballpark Thanks a lot, Ryan. Now I need to order of e-bowls. Can't keep doing this. You can see everything that Ryan and I discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com, and you can link to his website from there. I'll also be posting the various images, videos of guys riding his boards. The Ari Brown stuff's incredible. Um, I'll be posting all that on Instagram, at surfsplendor. I talk about you helping me grow this show by sharing it with friends, and I'd like to reiterate that by saying that in recent months, uh, I've had a number of people actually contacting me to request interviews rather than me soliciting them. Sally Fitzgibbon's people, although the scheduling didn't work out for that one when she was in town for the U.S. Open. John Pizel's team, which looks like that's actually going to happen. And so those networks growing have all made my job infinitely easier. So as little things like that fall into place, momentum picks up, and I think that the show just gets stronger overall. 
So there are two main ways that you can help keep this show growing. Firstly, is just by sharing the show with friends, share it on social media, rate and review it in iTunes or whatever podcast app you listen in. And then the second way is just to make a donation via our PayPal link on surfsplendorpodcast.com. If you do that through the end of the month of August, you'll be entered to win that custom Motai board bag. It's super simple. Everyone wins. So if you could do that, I'd be forever grateful. Thank you again for listening. I'll actually be back next week on Thursday with an all-new episode of The Grit with Chaz Smith. So until then, this is David Scales for Shaping Surfing on the Surf Splendor Podcast Network, reminding you to get back in the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred on. Oh, maybe I'm a dog who's lost his pride. I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more. I don't expect to sleep the night. Some people say a lie is just a lie, but I say the cross is in the ballpark. Why deny the obvious, child?